Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist and I'd like to welcome you to episode 52 of Compliance Into the Weed, a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague Matt Kelly, the founder of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic and go into the weeds to try to explore what it means for the compliance practitioner going forward. Today, as we're recording this on September 5th, we're going to do a post-Hurricane Harvey edition where we take a look at some of the compliance successes and failures from Hurricane Harvey and its aftermath. We talk about how the compliance community, the greater ERM community, and the greater business community have various lessons to be learned from this. We end the podcast by taking a short look at the tragically uh, arrest of the Utah nurse, Alex Wubles, as filmed on the body cam by the Salt Lake City Police and what it may mean for compliance going forward. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, the only podcast that takes a deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic. So we have been uh, off the air, unfortunately, for a week uh, due to uh, Hurricane Harvey, but Matt, it's uh, great to be back with you. It is indeed, Tom, and I am glad to hear that your home and property escaped unscathed, and we are, we're back on the beat. So, Matt, you wrote a really interesting piece about uh, Hurricane uh, Harvey entitled Corporate Ethics and Glitches in Houston. I wrote about it, too, uh, last week, so I thought maybe we could uh, at least start off today's episode by taking a look at some of uh, the best and the worst, uh, the, the weather, the climate, uh, what it all means for the compliance officer. So what were your uh, sort of initial thoughts? Well, you know, certainly we could talk about some specific instances of how companies did and did not respond to Hurricane Harvey. Well, they, they all responded, but which ones responded in ways we would consider noble and which ones cons- responded in ways that uh, took them a bit of time before they got the the nobility thing down. Um, But more than anything else, I am just struck by the need for good business continuity planning and risk management uh, thoughts and processes that companies should have in place. I know you wrote about that a bunch of times um, while you were um, stuck in uh, wherever you were, uh, not in Houston, but... um, you know, just that idea that you need to be able to plan for big disruptions. And as much as we're all talking about Hurricane Harvey right now, the fact is, if you are in Los Angeles suffering tremendous wildfires, um, you really, I've got people up and down the West Coast as far north as Vancouver complaining about wildfires, and they seem to be menacing quite a lot of Los Angeles County right now. Um, not to be morbid, but we could always go geopolitical and talk about the standoff with North Korea threatening to detonate nuclear devices either above us or off the coast or something like that. And what other sort of um, big disruptions happen? That's not wholly a compliance officer's purview. It is something that I think internal audit has to work with very closely and a team to be able to kind of come up with a plan. And even then, a plan will only go so far, but um, it just underlines the importance of thinking these things through because they can come by swiftly and cause tremendous disruption. 
Matt, you're right. I did write about this uh, event quite a bit last week and obviously was thinking a lot about it. And at the end of the week, though, my thinking had really evolved to a, a different place than I began the week because I ended up last week writing an article about practicing compliance. Now, you had written about that and we had podcast about that in a completely different context, which was the memo from Secretary of Defense James Mattis to all the Department of Defense employees, which was uh, set out in uh, early August, entitled mm-hmm. Ethical Standards for All Hands. And in that memo, he talked about training for the ethical decisions a soldier or defense uh, Department of Defense employee might be required to make. But he talked about it in a way that I don't think it's enough play in the general compliance space, which is practicing ethical behavior, not just training, not just a, a webinar, not just in person or live or online training, but practicing it. And that's what really I came around to thinking about in terms of uh, the response to Hurricane Harvey. Um, as, as most listeners know, I live in Houston on the Gulf Coast. Hurricanes are not unusual. Many companies do have emergency preparedness plans in place. Um, at least I hope they do. Uh, but rarely do companies practice that. And the one company that practices that, that stood out, I think, head and shoulders above the rest for their response was the grocer HEB. Mm-hmm. And the um, head of the Houston region was interviewed on a piece, and he went down the list of things the company had done to not only prepare, but pl- um, practice that preparation for delivery of first emergency supplies and then staples to cities all along Houston that had impacted by Hurricane Harvey. And they had started actually three days, uh, they started two days after Hurricane Harvey formed as a tropical storm, and they had their emergency preparedness up uh, well before it actually made landfall. And the um, you write and I think really think about risk in a much more broad sense than I do. You really have a, a much more ERM approach, and it got me to thinking about trying to think about risk much more holistically. It's not just emergency preparedness. It is things like climate change. It is emergency preparedness. It's the, the granular level, though, of actually practicing that emergency preparedness. So I hope one of the lessons that the compliance community and the greater business community will take away from this is really it's an entire uh truly enterprise risk management. It starts with a board of directors uh, setting an overall uh, tone or policy or tone, and then senior management having policies in place and also pushing those policies down. But it goes down to the chief compliance officer, to the compliance professional and compliance practitioner in the field actually preparing for, uh, if not a a weather-related event, a compliance emergency. So it's really got me thinking about, because this was a thousand-year flood, Um, maybe we need to start thinking about thousand-year-plus responses in a much more holistic approach. You know, that's a really good point. So let me pick up on that because I did write about HEB in one of my posts last week, and I'm a big fan of how they responded to the hurricane. I will admit, I did not know the level of detail that they had gone into, like preparing, rehearsing, practicing what we might want to do. But one thing that has stuck out in my mind was more that HEB as an organization seems to me, and and we do not have HEB here in the Northeast, so I I don't know very well, but from observing, it seems like they've got a very clear sense of corporate culture and values that 
when the big disruption happens, when it hits the fan, we're going to try to do this that we've rehearsed. In reality, I am sure things did not go according to HEB's plan exactly because there's disruption. But when those disruptions happen and you're kind of sort of on a plan, you're varying a little bit. You need those core values. You need the basic mission statements, um, the basic operating instructions at the local level. So the store manager will know, yeah, I can give out bread to the people who have no food out in the parking lot. I'm not going to get fired for that. That's within the spirit. Let's do it. Um, That sort of thing works, frankly. Not only is it the right thing to do, but it's good publicity for HEB because doing good pays off. Um, The one example that also comes to my mind actually is from Walmart with Hurricane Katrina, where Walmart was one of the most effective respondents after Hurricane Katrina hit Mississippi and Louisiana because they basically told all their local managers, do what's necessary for your community. And that was it. And, you know, they they empowered the local people. The message was clear. The moral core values are about helping your community are somewhat flexible, but they're not really rocket science. You know the right thing to do when you have to do it. And I always remember one great story of a manager in a Mississippi Walmart who commandeered a bulldozer to knock down a wall at her Walmart and distribute prescription medications for free to people who needed them. I I don't believe anything quite as dramatic happened with HEB this time around, but I'm pretty sure if it did, the HEB senior managers would not be holding out that local manager to dry. They'd be saying, that's exactly the sort of thing we want because they get the core values. They've tried this. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They're empowered. Boom. It works. So one of the, uh, a couple of the points uh, from one of the articles I read I think illustrate that, but it also, Matt, illustrates the business response that can come into play. HEB bakes their own bread, and after the second day of the disaster, they cut back from 50 different types of bread to three so that they could churn out more of the basic staples. But more than just even within their company being able to redirect supplies, they got on uh, online with their key uh, suppliers of things like um, uh, snack foods and said, yep. don't send us your exotic stuff. Uh, they, they called Frito-Lay and they said, send us uh, Fritos, Doritos, Cheetos, and potato chips. And that's it, because that's what people wanted. And so that they were able to influence their own uh, supply chain to help supply their end-using customers' needs. But I guess the, yeah. the thing that really struck me about HEB, Matt, was I had thought they were a grocery company, a grocery store, but they're a logistics company at the end of the day, and that's what they've shown here. And I don't think many companies, they think that they are the end-using customer. That's the, the, what they, the, the basis of their business. But when you look at what HEB has done, it was through logistics. And I think companies maybe are missing a greater opportunity to communicate their value to the consuming world by focusing too narrowly on what they're doing. And HEB as a logistics company uh, uh, really shown through. I would agree. I, I think that um, a lot of these big retail operators, really, th- this is what they're good at, is getting stuff from the central place to the 
periphery places where we can then sell them to the consumers, relaying that back and forth. Um, you and I have talked about this before. You know, I'm a big fan of the OODA loop, which is about how you observe and orient and you know, place yourself and make a decision, cycle the information back. A big part of all of this success is do you have clear lines of communication back from the periphery to the main office to say what we think in the main office that's not working it's kind of sort of working it's not at all whatever it is but you know how do you make sure that these feedback loops are clear um but i'm not surprised heb did all of this in much the same way i you know when you think about it it's not surprising walmart was good in hurricane katrina in 2005 this is what these organizations are good at an example of the OODA loop uh, in the HEB situation, Matt, was uh, after the first day, HEB contacted the their suppliers and instructed them not to go to HEB warehouses, but to go directly to HEB stores and distribute mm-hmm. products there. And HEB would accept whatever invoice the supplier sent as the amount delivered, uh, sort of taking out that one typical quality control uh, or uh, uh, control device. Uh, from the system to actually have greater show greater flexibility and deliver a greater amount of product because they had that type of relationship with their vendors. Yeah. yeah. So I really thought there was a, a lot to learn. I really hope people will uh, will do so. Um, it's uh, still pretty traumatic down here in Houston, but uh, uh, everybody is uh, pitching in and um, moving forward. Matt, there was um, one post that you, uh, I think, put up yesterday that I really uh, struck me and I think struck a lot of Americans, the underlying event. And so I thought maybe we might uh, move away from Hurricane Harvey to to talk about what you, uh, I think, correctly identified as a compliance issue or at least looked at it from the compliance angle. So do you want to talk about the nurse in Utah? I do. Uh, This is a very um, unfortunate case that came about It happened in July, and we only discovered it at the very end of last week when um, some police body cam videos escaped into the public realm. Um, Some people may already have heard this. If you have not, the nurse in question is a woman named Alex Wobbles, who uh, works at the burn unit of the University of Utah Hospital in Salt Lake City. And on July 26th, she was preventing a police officer from the Salt Lake City Police Department from taking blood from an unconscious patient, which, to be clear, the police officer had no legal right to do that. And it was also against hospital policy. So this led to a, I think, 20-minute standoff between Alex Wobbles, the nurse, and numerous other hospital supervisors Uh, And finally, the police officer in frustration arrested her for obstructing him from either drawing the blood himself or compelling Wubbles to draw it from this unconscious truck driver for him. But they flat out said this is not policy. It is not legal. You cannot do it. The police officer didn't care. He arrested her, dragged her out, threw her into the cruiser. And all of this was captured on body cam of another officer who was on scene. And finally, that uh, video came out to uh, public light, I think, last Thursday, August 31st. Very gripping stuff. Very well-composed nurse, Alex Wubbles, who never lost her temper and then finally broke down when she's being hauled off. Very emotional, saying, I haven't done anything wrong. Somebody please help me. Um, Big black eye. 
for the Salt Lake City Police Department and, frankly, for police generally who have enough trouble in the body cam age convincing people that police are acting ethically when the vast majority of them do. Uh, but this looks terrible for the police. Uh, two officers are suspended. The university hospital has apologized to Wubble and basically done everything it could to say she was entirely correct. I know that she is considering litigation. I know the taxpayers of Utah will wind up paying her money so that she doesn't. Like, what a mess. And I think there are all sorts of policy and compliance implications therein. But that's the mess. So it truly was a mess. Um, the nursing question, and I think you correctly articulated in your blog post, Matt, uh, I, I would give another shout out to the hospital for uh, certainly training her. She may have known this all on mm -hmm. her own, but I have to believe that this was drilled into her head or drummed into her from some employer somewhere. Because to stand up yeah. as she did, with the composure she did, uh, you're absolutely right, um, spoke to a level of commitment to following the law uh, that uh, we sometimes don't see. And frankly, bravery, yeah. I mean, the, the, she was well-trained, and but there are plenty of people who are well-trained in the face of a very stern and intimidating police officer would probably cave. I don't know what I would do in that situation because I've never faced it, but she, um, she didn't lose her temper. She stood her ground, and uh, uh, she paid a interim price in the immediate when she got arrested. However, no charges were ultimately filed, and you know I am sure she will be handsomely rewarded somehow, some way for standing her ground and doing the right thing, which we cannot say for the Salt Lake City Police. Well, on that somewhat somber note, Matt, uh, I think uh, we're probably at the end of our time. Uh, it's great to be back uh, on the podcast with you, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you very much, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help our rankings and also help get the word out about the only podcast which takes a deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic each week. Also, if you have any questions on this podcast, please feel free to email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt Kelly at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.